Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. You had a good day? Yeah, it's not been bad actually, thank you. How about yourself? Yeah, good. I got my toddler to sleep, which is good. <laughs> Hopefully not gonna wake up. My husband's on duty, so it should be fine. Amazing. That's good. Yeah, you don't wanna have some screaming hopefully in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think that's so normal nowadays, like with COVID yeah. and everything, when there's a, a noise in the background, everyone's just like, oh, that's just typical. <laughs> I've got cats as well, so oh. hoping they behave, so. Oh, yeah. right. I hope we get a little... Um, so should we, should we kick off? Sure. I will just do maybe a little introduction. Um, yeah. So I'll just say hi to people because I don't think I've met or people know who I am. And I'm Alice. I'm a doctor and also a nutritionist um, and a nutrient member. Um, and I'm part of the sub-branch N4Y, which is Nutrition for Youngsters. So I'm really excited to be here today. And we're so lucky to have Han, who is from the wonderful Full of Beans podcast, um, with us today, talking all things eating disorders and awareness. And it's all about reducing the stigma. And it's Eating Disorder Awareness Week. So we're really lucky to have you join us today. Um, I just thought it might be best just to kick off with maybe if you could just tell us give yourself a bit more of an introduction and tell us a bit about your journey um and about the podcast yeah sure um so as um, Alice said, my name's Han. Um, I'm also a nutritionist, so we've got two nutritionists today. Um, but yeah, so basically my kind of um, journey started when I was 14. I got diagnosed with atypical anorexia, um, which I won't go into now because I think we're going to talk about that a bit later. Um, but basically I kind of went through um, different kind of treatments um I was in the in like the cam service when I was 14 and then I ended up going back to the services and an adult mental health service when I was 21 um with the same diagnosis um and I've also had um, body dysmorphic disorder um, and and depression and anxiety as well with that and I think that's something I always kind of like to talk about because I think often when we think about eating disorders in treatment, we often see them in isolation. And a lot of the time people, you know, more commonly than not, people do have comorbidities that really need to be um, kind of included in that care because they, they play such a significant part. Um, but then, yeah, so the, the second time around, I, I guess that's when recovery really happened for me and really started. Um, so after, like once I was feeling in a good place, I then did my master's in eating disorders and clinical nutrition. Um, I think often, you know, when you've had a mental health experience, I don't think I'm alone in that you kind of want to give back and share your understanding and your empathy to, to help other people. Um, so I did my master's um, and that's kind of when I decided to start Full of Beans um, because I absolutely love having a chat. Um, so kind of it's great for a podcast, but um, a lot of my friends were kind of talking about, you know, you're you're so passionate about sharing awareness and also you're super chatty. So why don't you start a podcast? And at the time I was like, oh my God, I could never do that. That's so scary. Um, but it's, you know, it was our birthday yesterday. So really exciting. Oh, on <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, really exciting 
excited for Eating Disorders Awareness Week. Um, and I kind of said to myself, oh, it's so good that it's Eating Disorders Awareness Week. But I remember last year I started it on Eating Disorders Awareness Week specifically yeah. so that it was. So, um, but yeah, so I've done the podcast for a year now and had a range of individuals. So people that have lived experience or people that are researchers, clinicians. So really trying to kind of get an understanding from everybody um, to really share all the experiences. Because I think often, you know, like we're going to go on to, there are a lot of stigmas with eating disorders, but also I think people's voices just don't get heard as much as they should, which is really what we're trying to do on on the podcast yeah amazing so I think that kind of leads leads us straight into sort of talking a bit about um sort of eating disorders because I think a lot of people I mean not a lot but people might be more aware of um you know anorexia nervosa and bulimia and maybe lesser extent binge eating disorder Mm -hmm. but there are there are other um eating disorders where actually are much which account for the majority and and is it right it's OSFED so Mm -hmm. it's other specified feeding feeding and eating disorders and that sort of under that umbrella term comes a few things Mm -hmm. such as atypical anorexia and I have to really admit like even with my doctor and and nutritional training I felt like I really having sort of done a bit of research before I was really embarrassed that how little I knew Mm. um and so I'll, I'm sure others are in the same boat. Um, so, yeah, maybe if you could just talk a little bit about those other sort of lesser known um, eating disorders and why they're so important. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. Um, so kind of OSFED is um, a broad category and it basically is um, for eating disorders. that. So when you have an eating disorder like anorexia, uh, bulimia or binge eating disorder, there's kind of the diagnostic criteria in the DSM-5 um, and so it's almost like a tick box, ex- box exercise so if you tick all of the boxes then you get the diagnosis. With atypical anorexia if I use that as an example to start with which is a subcategory of OSFED basically the way that it, the diagnosis happens is that part of anorexia is that um, you have to have a BMI of less than 18.5 So let's say you're displaying all the psychological signs of anorexia. So um, you're kind of manipulating your diet to restrict so that that influences your weight and shape and engaging in behaviours that do that. Um, You kind of have an undue kind of like your self-worth is based on your weight and shape. Um, And there's a lot of thoughts about food and restriction Um, because you don't necessarily have a BMI of less than 18.5 then you'd get diagnosed with atypical anorexia um and so similarly with that let's say um so for bulimia and for binge eating disorder um for bulimia you have to um binge and purge um three times sorry yeah once a week for a period of three months um, and it's the same with binge eating disorder want, you'd have to binge for once a week for a period of three months to get the diagnosis so let's say um, you're kind of the frequency hasn't been as long or your kind of the periods um, the number of times that you're binging and purging or binging um, are less frequent than that then you would get kind of a it's uh, I think it's low frequency or limited duration so that of course um, falls under OSFED and then Equally within that, there's purging disorder. So that's when you have like the purging involved in bulimia, but you don't have the binging. Um, And then there's night eating syndrome. So that's kind of 
in the night you are fully aware that you're waking up but it's kind of after having a meal in the evening um you're then re-waking up from your sleep um to 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 eat food um so all of them are kind of you've got symptoms of a particular eating disorder but maybe you don't fit that whole um criteria and I think you know I personally don't really understand why there needs to be a separate diagnosis because ultimately if if somebody is engaging in those behaviors you know eating disorders are psychological illnesses so it doesn't matter what your weight is and I almost see it as though so if you take anorexia for example there's almost like a line of treatment and and the first bit if somebody is at a critically low weight then the first point that you want to do with them when you're treating them is you want to get them up to a quote-unquote healthy BMI so that then they can engage in psychological intervention because if someone's at a low weight their brain is not going to be able to do that so then you do the psychological intervention and work out where where the different thoughts are coming from, why food and the body is being used as a kind of um, coping mechanism and, and support somebody in their recovery to, you know, in, have different foods and reduce those behaviours. So it's almost like a timeline. So if you did have somebody that had atypical anorexia, I don't think that you need to have that word of atypical. You just start them at a different point on the timeline. Um because, you know, from my personal experience and from speaking with a lot of other people that have had atypical anorexia, that word atypical is so invalidating um, for an eating disorder that is kind of accompanied with traits of perfectionism and rigidity. If you're told, you know, the, the brutal honest truth is, you know, with an eating disorder and anorexia, you're trying to lose weight, but you've actually not lost enough weight. It's kind of... It's just a horrible thing to have to go through. Yeah, I can understand that. God, and with um, and I suppose um, and like we kind of know, or we're starting to know, maybe not that widely that BMI is just not a great measurement. It's got so much variety, and I just yeah, I so I completely I get mm. that. Um, but I guess sort of when faced with sort of medical professionals in the healthcare system it is at times quite a tick box and yeah. you know maybe we need to look at the bigger picture and with a whole more holistic view and as you said it's a mental health um you know condition we need to consider that and all the other aspects um and kind of going a bit we'll come on to sort of stigma amongst healthcare professionals but maybe before because i know there are kind of misconceptions that maybe anorexia or just other eating disorders are primarily in you know females who might be white and privileged backgrounds that's kind of the stigma that's held mm. is that is do you find that from your experience and not at all I think yeah. that's one thing that I mean I don't think I had that belief beforehand um I think what does tend to happen is that you know, when we look at prevalence of eating disorders and things like that, because there's an expectation that somebody with an eating disorder is going to be, like you say, a white, middle-class, young female, they're probably the individuals that are going forward and accessing treatment. So, you know, when you look at the stats, yeah, it might look like there are more individuals kind of of that subcategory. But actually, you know, from doing the podcast, I've spoken to so many individuals, I, and it is said so many different times, but eating disorders don't discriminate. And it might be that, you know, eating disorders maybe in a different culture or in a different gender show up differently, yeah. but that doesn't mean that they're they're not there. Um, 
and yeah definitely I, I think um I think it is like I said it's it's the people that are accessing treatment but obviously that really needs to change because in order for people to be able to come forward they need to know that you know I guess one issue I do have is a lot of the time with eating sort of services they are quite feminine you know you walk into kind of the uh, clinic or whatever and there's flowers everywhere and it's like that must be so daunting you know if we're thinking about gender for a man who feels probably like they're going to get a diagnosis for something that's feminine to then be in a feminine environment um I don't necessarily think that the treatment needs to differ significantly because obviously the psychologies probably will be quite similar, but actually the approach that we have probably does need to be quite different. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, like we're kind of taught in as doctors and trainees and for general practice that, you know, men are typically not as forthcoming and don't approach their GPs and maybe, you know, that might translate even more around an eating disorder so maybe we need to have increased awareness about that fact that actually you know it's you know it it's going to be out there but we're just not picking up on it or we're not sort of yeah our antenna is not up to that yeah okay um and kind of moving on to a bit about experience your experience and knowledge about sort of the stigma that is held amongst mm. in sort of health professionals I guess it's is it sort of GP because I guess GPs are sort of um is going to be the first point of call perhaps maybe for someone with an eating disorder or um maybe a loved one like a family member or friend mm. might be approaching a GP and I don't know what what's your sort of experience around that now yeah um so personally my experience was actually quite good um and I I'm always my opinion kind of you know because obviously this um eating disorders awareness week has been about junior doctors and GPs and I think one really important thing that we need to do is kind of talk about the good things that people do um I know not everybody has a good experience but if somebody does have a good experience to share that and say you know I went to my GP and and they were you know really helpful and they kind of um referred me on I think is really good to kind of give that encouragement um but from what I've heard from other people is that there is very much, you know, the stigma kind of like we were saying before in that an eating disorder is presents as emaciated and, and somebody that's, you know, not eating very much. And I think, unfortunately, they're quite obvious signs. You know, if someone comes into your surgery and, and they're at a very low weight, then I think that's quite an obvious sign that somebody needs help but but actually you know the signs when you think about things like bulimia or binge eating disorder or antidepressant anorexia somebody can present at a you know quote-unquote healthy BMI or their BMI might be kind of on the higher end um so it might not be your first assumption and I think again it goes back to what I was saying before in terms of because those stigmas are whole are held people may not be as forthcoming like you said to go to the doctor um because they're maybe concerned you know I distinctly remember going to the doctor this was pre-eating disorder and had stretch marks on my legs and I was like oh I just wanted to check like everything's going right and stuff and the GP was like well it's probably because you're chubby and so <laughs> so you I guess you then it's it's those comments that might put people off um because, you know, oh, well, you don't look like you've got an eating disorder or, oh, well, you, you ate breakfast, didn't you? So you can't have an eating disorder. So I think that 
unfortunately because we've got these assumptions of how an eating disorder presents those comments will then come out if it it doesn't tick those boxes um and also as well I think GPs definitely um you know a lot of people well we literally say to people you know if you're concerned please go to your GP and have that conversation but I also think um kind of like in the emergency department so like A&E I think is also another area that's really key for eating disorders because um if if someone comes in and maybe they're you know malnourished or their electrolytes are off balance or whatever it could potentially be that they've got refeeding syndrome and I think there's been you know a, a number of cases where patients haven't been treated appropriately because there's almost not that understanding of kind of how the eating disorder is presenting for them and it's I think often other things are then treated which might counterbalance what's going on with the eating disorder so to almost get a broad understanding there as well I think is really crucial yeah and do you, I mean I think looking back to more, my to my training I can't honestly say how much we had on eating disorders it came under the umbrella obviously mental health and psychiatry mm. but it wasn't very much at all and I think I mean it was a little while ago but I just, I'm not sure it's changed much at the moment do you think that's a key part maybe a bit more education to medical students yeah I think so definitely I think my opinion may be controversial to kind of what people have been saying this heat so on sweet but I think you know I've seen a lot of posts saying that doctors only get two hours of training and stuff which yeah. which isn't enough um yeah. for something that is really on the rise as well it's yeah. really not enough but I do think that we have to consider you know doctors when you're in your training you have to learn so much yeah. um yeah. so I think that is like something important to consider and I guess my sort of approach would it Uh, to it would be that everybody has like a a basic understanding of how an eating disorder might present and the signs and symptoms to look out for um and for that to be actually for all eating disorders not just kind of if someone appears emaciated they've got anorexia because I think we know that already um but then actually to have you know whether it's in a GP surgery or in a hospital to have someone you know as a specialist in eating disorders so if those signs are recognized by a GP they can then say okay like I you know potentially think that you might have an eating disorder and I'm going to refer you to my colleague who's a specialist because you know we wouldn't I mean, I'm making an assumption here, but if somebody had something wrong with their heart, you'd probably refer them on to a specialist in cardiology. You wouldn't handle it all yourself. So I think that would be really good. And and when I say that, I think to have, you know, and this might be asking a lot, but sort of in a surgery to have somebody that um, is trained to be a specialist, because I think as you know, we know eating disorder services are massively inundated. And I think that's probably a massive barrier for GPs to refer on is they just they don't have the resources or the funding or the services to refer um, patients onto. So then you're met with, well, you know, unfortunately, there's this massive waiting list, and you're possibly not sick enough. So then people are going away, you know, either getting sick enough or you know just not being able to access that care that they do need yeah yeah I mean because I had a quick look at the guidelines before and I know I mean regardless so if if someone's presenting um, and you're concerned that they've got symptoms of an eating disorder so regardless of weight or anything it says you know urgent referral and not to wait um so that's and I think even 
so if, if that just I think just a reminder of those guidelines and then that that's the case but as you said the waiting unfortunately yeah the the funding and the waiting list and the, uh, we know that mental health services are underfunded and I think yeah it's that sort of in-between time when someone is waiting to be seen mm-hmm. by the specialist service you know what can what tools can GPs use um, I guess that would be a really fundamental area mm-hmm. um, I mean, I don't know, do you have any sort of advice in terms, I mean, there's Beat, isn't there, who, who are the eating disorders um, charity, who people can always look up, but are you aware of any other kind of services out there that people can can tap into yeah so just just with beat one fantastic thing that they do have um for if you're going to the gp is they've got a form that you can basically fill out so obviously you know i think going to the doctor can be quite a daunting process anyway but i think when you're going with an eating disorder that fear of rejection um might be quite strong so there's a literally a form that you can fill out and it tells you it kind of tells the doctor all that they need to know um so definitely if if that's something that somebody is doing definitely to um to to get that um also um you know charity other some other charities like first steps um they're a brilliant charity that have loads of different group workshops um and they're great at almost bridging that gap um i think that's really important that you know we do need more services that bridge that gap so if somebody isn't able to get straight on to you know straight into treatment that they have that sort of somebody holds them in between um and then there's also charities like anorexia bulimia care which have a lot of resources um and but like all of these charities are also great if you're supporting somebody there's there's loads of information on them um and then there's seed support uk um so yeah there's 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 quite a few great resources out there um and i think you know instagram is actually a really brilliant place for there's a really strong community um of people kind of sharing you know whether they're working in eating disorders or have had an eating disorder themselves um and kind of advocating for eating disorders there's so many resources um available to kind of understand more mm-hmm. okay um that's all really useful stuff and actually i've learned, <laughs> learned something there so that's really helpful thanks um and i was just going to ask a bit about so say someone is within the service but obviously gps and doctors will still be will still have a role in their just general care um and even you know once if they're in recovery i just kind of wonder a little bit about um kind of language and how the sort of approach when mm. someone's maybe coming to you with an eating disorder it might be better I've got an example actually of something okay. that happened to me which might sort of um, explain it a little my question a bit, bit better basically I had a patient who sort of called me who had been flagged as having um, high cholesterol she was um, in her sort of you know a bit in her 50s I think and um, she'd been sent some letters being like you know uh, we need to have a phone call we need to talk about it and then she'd already had some sort of talks uh, maybe with a, some, a nurse about her weight um, and, I, and she rang me and I, I, I spoke to her in a consultation and she was really worried because she had a history of an eating disorder um, and she didn't really know how you know she was kind of on board wanted to maybe improve her diet but at the same time because of her cholesterol but at the same time was worried about the sort of issues that this would bring up and actually I was a little bit stumped of of what to do here so I had to get some help but I wonder and I just sort of that approach so obviously we're we're 
advocating you know weight loss and for a number of lifestyle sort of alterations for a number of conditions but we also I guess need to be aware that some people you know might have an eating disorder they might be in recovery and that might be quite a difficult process for them mm. and I just wonder about what your thoughts are on that and if you've, you've encountered uh, through your experience anyone who's had problems yeah definitely that's, long, long. <laughs> that's okay <laughs> um i actually did a podcast with the fat doctor um okay. this week so um and that actually covered i think the topic that you're discussing quite yeah. well um i think it's i mean i'm not a doctor myself um and i'm obviously just talking from an eating disorder perspective yeah. but i you know from speaking to the fat doctor my i guess I think as a society, we hold so much around weight as though it's kind of the cure for everything. Um, so, you know, any any kind of diagnosis, um, you know, physical diagnosis that you get, if somebody is overweight, the suggestion normally is well, you, you, sh- could, you should lose weight. Um, but I think kind of before that, there's so many other things to consider, you know, looking at someone's diet, have they got a balanced diet, what's their sleep like, what's their physical activity levels like, and obviously that equally can be challenging in somebody with an eating disorder, Um, especially, you know, whether they've got a history of an eating disorder or a current eating disorder, because, you know, from my personal experience, I also struggled with compulsive exercise, and so because of the atypical anorexia, I had a a BMI that was you know fine and to to everybody else kind of me going to the gym every day and going for walks every day it was just like I was just participating in a healthy lifestyle mm-hmm. but actually if somebody had asked me to stop that exercise that was my sort of that was the only way that I felt I could relieve my anxiety or relieve that distress um so I think you know often I think when it comes to this sort of thing if you know that somebody has history of an eating disorder I think we can often try and be a bit kind of hush hush and don't want to ask the questions but I would if I went into a doctor's surgery and I know this might not be everybody's um kind of choice and um but if they said you know we're worried about this and we want to kind of encourage you to do this I would just want them to ask me the questions outright and say you know we're potentially thinking about asking you to do some physical activity is that something that you have had a struggle with and you know we're thinking about potentially kind of modifying your diet is this something that you think that you would struggle with because I think by having the GP be open and honest about their questions it takes that shame away from the eating disorder and it would almost be I think if you kind of saw on their record eating disorder but then you know you they had high cholesterol and you thought that you could have something to help them but then you didn't ask them would this affect your eating disorder it's almost there's there's shame in that um silence so I think by just having that open conversation it obviously depends as well as at what point somebody is in their recovery journey because you know I I I don't think that I'm fully recovered but I'm at a space now where I can talk about it obviously um so for me and I think I can be honest as well whereas I think if somebody's still in the depth of their eating disorder they might not be able to determine is it me that wants to do this or is it my eating disorder? so they might engage in kind of unhealthy behaviors if you ask them to um but I guess I guess the issue is that 
it's so individual um so that's why i think we haven't sort of got a a perfect plan or kind of what you know to know what to do with eating disorders because everybody is so individual yes they might have the same eating disorder but their experience is so different so we almost have to have like a a guidelines and then kind of you know this option this option like there's so many different routes that you could take rather than this is the set thing which I think currently unfortunately it is okay you've got this diagnosis so this is your treatment um I think it needs to be you know like you said at the start a more holistic approach towards helping people and I guess it's just that yeah thinking of the patient sat in front of you and maybe not you know not thinking about the numbers first but the patient and taking that yeah taking that holistic approach and and listening to them, I guess, and giving them the chance to say um, and tell, them, tell you how they, they feel about something before you bulldoze into, you know, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, I do think, yeah, I think that... Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, um, I think if if there was one kind of thing that I could say as a GP, like, that could be done is to just listen. Um, because I think so many... so often people feel so unheard because they will explain their experience and then they'll be oh well you know you don't have this or you don't have this uh, or we can't help you because you're not this but actually like coming in alongside somebody and just saying I hear you and I'm really going to try my best to get you the treatment that you deserve unfortunately it might not be now because of x y and z whatever barriers in the way but we're going to do this together I think that's what people need when they're because eating disorders are so isolating um you know it's great that there's the community online now for people to share but if you that's sort of something you find out halfway through um so yeah I think just to have someone come alongside you and say I've, I've got you and you know I'm, I'm here to listen yeah thank you for that it's really interesting and I just and kind of because you mentioned I just want, want to move slightly into a different direction but because you kind of mentioned about the positive aspects of social media which is um I'm quite interested in I'm quite interested in sort of child and teenagers and the their sort of nutrition and health Mm. and some of the conversations about how we talk about food and weight with with kids because I I mean still I think I think there's quite a lot that is really great about social media and stuff out there but then also there's the reverse where there's quite a lot of um, there's still quite a big diet culture and restricted eating and there's just so much out there and I just wonder a little I just want to talk a little bit about maybe how we talk about food mm. with kids and and what your thoughts thoughts on that I know that's a really broad question <laughs> um, but yeah I mean maybe a bit about the language we use and should we yeah see what you see what your yeah. thoughts are on that I think you know unfortunately what it feels like currently is that diet culture is so ingrained that almost the language that we use doesn't feel odd if you know it feels very natural to say it um so but I think it does create such a I don't know it's just setting people up to almost have a bad relationship with food um you know I I remember when I was little and my mum would call, you know, say, oh, this is a treat or you've been good so you can have this. And it puts so much onus on kind of 
you know this this food is out of bounds and you can only have that when you've been good but then what does being good mean and I think that changes as you grow up and you know for me that went from doing well at school to then being good you know was going to the gym and then I was allowed it's almost it's allowing somebody to eat because of what they've done um so I think it's it's really challenging and when you actually kind of think about your language around food I think you know, at that, at that's the start of that journey when you start to recognise. I think it can feel really overwhelming because as an adult, if you've had your whole life of kind of, you know, using food as a reward um, or whatever, you know, I'm not saying that emotional eating is bad because I think we all kind of emotionally eat and food is such an amazing thing. You know, you get to socialise, you get to celebrate, you get to enjoy and it brings people together. Um, but equally, I think there is so much kind of damage around you know the words that we use in food and it's funny actually well it's not funny but um I saw I can't remember who did the post yesterday but I thought it was such an amazing post and it was basically talking about how cartoons um are you know massively fat shaming and there's so much weight stigma and um it was you know there were I don't know what movie it was from but there was a character like oh um I want to ask a girl on a date so I've got eight hours to lose weight and basically like jumped on a treadmill um and it was just building that idea of like you can only be loved if you're a certain shape or size so I think unfortunately it's so it's around us everywhere it's making it so difficult to actually break away from and I think that's that almost makes recovery harder because a lot of the sort of behaviors that people might engage with with an eating disorder um if we're thinking about anorexia then they're almost glorified in society and so coming from a disordered mindset to a recovered mindset is so difficult because actually the comments that you hear from everybody around you are also disordered um so that I found one of the biggest challenges was actually stepping away from my eating disorder and then coming into the normal world, which was just diet culture everywhere. And, you know, I'd sit down with a certain food that I was finding challenging and the waiter or waitress would comment on it. And you're like, when did it become okay to comment on what everybody else is eating? Um, But, and so that's why I think it makes it difficult, especially with children, because, you know, as as parents or as family you know you can try your very best to sort of you know make food a very neutral thing but it's almost everybody around you um that is still saying that so I think if you're you know able to really model those behaviors at home and and really show that you know food is something to be enjoyed but equally it there doesn't need to be any foods that go on pedestals and each food kind of plays an important role in your day um I think that's kind of the best we can do and to just kind of make children aware that there's so much more to them than their body shape or size um because I think you know in the media and everything whilst it can be great because you can kind of join with people that have um going through similar things as you there is such a specific body type that's shared on social media and I do worry about you know children and young people getting on social media at a younger age being exposed to that and you know I didn't even realize that people edit their pictures a lot and I remember I felt really silly but I remember one of my friends um like show me a picture and she was like they don't look like this um and I was like oh like maybe it was just a different angle and she was like no it's edited and I was like who edits their pictures like I just thought that was something celebrities did so if I'm not aware as a 25 year old 
woman that goes on social media children are also being filled with those kind of body types and so many like what I eat in the day and it just is all yeah not great yeah no, I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, I was really, I did not get, the, I was so late to this whole filter thing. I don't use them, but like, I was, I didn't even realise that it was a thing. It's <laughs> quite embarrassing. Um, but I definitely agree. I mean, like, I, since having, I've got an 18-month-year-old, and um, and since having him, I ha- before having him, I didn't really give it much consideration how we talk about food, and I, you know, but definitely when I was brought up, you know, sweets, you know, and sugary foods were always true, like really given that halo as a treat. Mm. Um, and so I try, I'm sort of trying to do that actually with um, my son, trying to, you know, treat foods equally and not, yeah, not, not do sort of use that kind of language. Um, but it's quite hard because it's so ingrained yeah. that, oh yeah, pudding, you can only have pudding if you're, yeah. if you're good and you have good manners and stuff but it's just like checking yourself but yeah as I said it's so ingrained it's sometimes hard but I think it's yeah I definitely think that's a really good it's really good advice and the kind of direction I'd I'd like to try and uh go and and is that I don't know I mean in terms of like education in schools around I mean I don't think there's there used to be sort of home economics and things in school Mm. and I don't know and so teaching around food, but I don't really think that's such a thing anymore. And I just wonder whether, you know, talking to kids in, in, their, in schools would be um, like a good opportunity around mm. these kind of areas. I don't know if you've heard of any, I know and for why that I just sort of bring it up, sort of have um, the Nutrition for Youngsters team are kind mm. of quite interested in this area, um, going into schools and talking to kids and sort of eating sort of awareness and kind of all those thoughts that, are kind of on our radar and what mm. we're trying to thinking about doing but I just wonder what you thought about about that I'm not actually sure what the kind of current way about is in schools um you know what schools currently do but I definitely think that you know it's so important and and you know eating disorder awareness absolutely but I do sometimes think you know I remember when back to when I was in school and if somebody did come in to do a talk or you know things kind of just went over my head like I didn't really pay attention um so I definitely think that the more sort of you know activities and stuff that we can do and I know um that um there's the like quite a lot of body image interventions um which I think is is really good and they basically go into schools and kind of show images of um models or whatever kind of images and um get the get the kids to think about you know how does this make you feel and how does this make you feel about your body I think that's a really important skill to be able to actually process you know looking at this image what does this make me feel because that's definitely something that I wasn't taught and that I think actually would have helped because I think you know when you're on Instagram you're just scrolling through so many images and you take in so much information but you don't process any of it and I think often you know that's first thing in the morning maybe and that's the first thing you see and that leads you up for having a bad day um but also you know like you said like the home economics and learning how to cook I think is so important because you know if if we're not just thinking about an eating disorder but like a healthy lifestyle in general if you're if you've not got those skills available then that may lead to you know disordered eating whether that's kind of a limited amount of food or you know fearing certain foods um I think it's so important that we have like a broad array a broad array 
And then that will help people to sort of understand their relationship with food more because, you know, if a if a child comes in and maybe they've not tried different foods, then it gives them that chance to be able to try different things. Yeah. I know food is, you know, food and cooking can be really fun. Mm. And I know so many kids love it. I mean, my nephew Ned, who's three, just loves he's just in the kitchen the whole time it's so cute but yeah so I think sort of tying that in um nicely with the weight and talking about sort of body image is is a really good way of doing it but obviously that's another huge like kind of issue (laughs) and a bit sort of yeah beyond maybe this but yeah I think it's interesting to talk about it um and so I'm kind of a bit mindful of time I just wonder um is that anything exciting for the full of beans podcast on the horizon or what's kind of what's nothing kind of new um you know we've got loads of um guests lined up um those have been really exciting conversations we, we release a podcast every monday um yeah. so there's and you know there's now 52 episodes on there seeing as we're a year old um so i'm hoping that we've covered loads of topics um there's obviously always topics that we haven't covered um but i love getting feedback from people who you know suggest different topics because at the end yeah. of the day i'm i'm probably talking about the stuff that i'm more so interested in so if there's ever anything other people want to kind of talk about um but yeah so and then each week as well um kind of on a thursday now i do full of facts thursday with full of beans so i will kind of collate together um some research papers and put it kind of into some slides for um easy resources um for people to access because obviously not everybody likes to read through journals <laughs> whereas yeah. i love doing that so i might as well make that accessible for everyone so yeah. if you ever in, like read it uh, listen to an episode and really enjoy it then there's always that on a thursday as well so um hopefully that together with the podcast is providing a good resource for everyone and yeah. everyone's feeling heard yeah, well, I love it. I've listened to quite a few episodes. And <laughs> it's great. And the one from Monday is really good. Oh, thank really you. <laughs> um, and really, really good information as well coming out of it, which is really helpful. Um, and can I just also ask, um, where did the, the name full of beans? I love it. Where's that come from? <laughs> so um, it's a bit of a long-winded story, I'm afraid. But um, basically, it's kind of... I always say four, but I think it might be three reasons. One is because basically one of my friends just suggested it because I'm so full of energy that she was yeah. like, your character is full of beans, so that's what it needs to be. Um, two is it's almost the action of like full of beans is like opening a can of worms, and that's obviously when you're having a deep yeah. conversation, so opening a can of beans. Um, and then kind of beans are obviously super nourishing, so that was my nutritionist part coming in okay. uh, with the beans. And then the kind of last bit, which is a bit more personal, was um, so when I went back to the mental health stuff service when I was an adult uh basically the reason I went back was two friends sat me down and said we're worried about you and um, we want you to go back and all we used to kind of eat together was beans on toast so that's kind of like a little like a uh, nice thing for me just to thank them for yeah. kind of getting me back on track oh that's really nice yeah I love that story great well thank you so much for joining hey, us thank you for having me probably wrap that wrap it up now but yeah so thank you so much it's lovely to meet you yeah you too alice thank you very much bye if you enjoyed listening today you won't want to miss next week's episode so be sure to subscribe
Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.